desire to live with wisdom. Um, there is much in the Bible that helps us in day-to-day life, and, and truthfully, that's why Proverbs was written, because life is confusing, uh, life is often hard, life often seems unfair, and if we are just left with man's wisdom, uh, then we'll struggle our way through our days. But God, you've given us your wisdom from on high, and as James tells us, God, you said if we lack wisdom, uh, to come to you and ask of it, and you would give it to us liberally. And so, God, I pray tonight that uh, we would be a people who desire to have understanding, that we would be a people who desire to live out uh, what your word says, God, that the ways that we live our lives would speak volumes about uh, what our hearts believe. So help us tonight, God, be with the kids downstairs, be with the nursery, be with the, the younger adults as they study your word as well. I pray that this would just prove to be profitable for each of us as we seek to grow together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> so the first question that we're going to kind of answer is, who wrote Proverbs? Well, chapter 1 and verse 1 kind of gives us an idea that Solomon is the one who wrote the majority of these Proverbs. He's the one who collected all of them, uh, but there were a few other writers involved, uh, Lemuel and Agar. As we get to the end of the book of Proverbs, we're going to understand that they, they imparted their wisdom as well, things that they had learned um, things that they had experienced. And so those are the main authors. Um, even in Solomon's writings that we have in the book of Proverbs, it's widely assumed that he didn't write every one of these, but they were um, sayings or, or Proverbs that were around during his day, and he kind of collected them and put them into a book. And his purpose was to pass this wisdom on to future generations. It's really um, quite, quite something. It's, it's, it goes back really to the wisdom of God. That God says, these things are true, these things are things that I want to preserve, and so I'm going to have somebody pen them down so that future generations can learn from these simple sayings. And so several writers are involved in this, and uh, as we go through them, we'll kind of break down who wrote what and, and uh, what they were experiencing in their life. Uh, what are Proverbs? Are they principles or promises? And this is one of those questions that um, the answer is yes, because they are principles, but they're also promises. And not every one of them is a promise. Some of them are just principles, but a lot of, all of the principles or all the promises would also be principles. And so what are some, some principles that we understand in the Word of God? Um, the big one that we often talk about is train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Um, who knows any children who were trained right but have departed from the Lord? We all do. We all know people like that. And so it's a general principle where God is saying, hey, if you put the work in as a parent, um, then there's reward for this. It doesn't mean it's going to work at every time, but it's reminding parents, what? That you have a job to do. You, you can't just uh, let other people raise your kids. You have to be active in raising your kids. I was talking to a couple after church today, and they just had questions about the way that our world is and the things that their kids are learning, and how can they combat that? And I said, you have to be involved as a parent. You have to be a parent who is actively involved in your life. doesn't mean that your kids are going to turn out perfectly, but it does give them a better opportunity than if you're an uninvolved parent. And so that would be a principle. But what's a promise? Well, one I shared this morning, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. That's not just a principle. It is a principle. But it's more than a principle. God's saying, if you do this, then I will guide you. And so we have to be careful um, to not just broad brush the book of Proverbs and say it's, it's all principles or it's all promises, but we have to look at every passage as an individual passage. And, and really, uh, even 
as, as Proverbs is broken up, as you go chapter by chapter and verse by verse, you're going to understand that it's really all over the place. It's, it's not one chapter on this and another chapter on that. Every chapter kind of overlaps and intertwines. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, no, I won't go down that road, but it, it's, it's all over the place. It's like a shotgun blast, right, instead of a, a rifle um, shot. And so they are principles and they are promises, and we have to be diligent in our study of the Word of God to understand which is which. Because if we take principles and make them promises, then we're going to become resentful towards the Word of God. God, you said this in your Word, but it didn't work out that way. Well, it's because we're applying a principle in a way that God didn't necessarily mean for it to be applied. Um, and so we, we need to uh, understand what we're reading. We have to put the work in, and we have to uh, be diligent in our study. Um, and so they're principles and promises. And then they're also at the same time, uh, they're, they're wisdom from above while using pictures from below. Um, it's, it's very much like the parables that Jesus spoke in the New Testament. Really, parables and, and proverbs go together. They're almost one and the same. And as Jesus uh, taught with such great, vivid word pictures in the New Testament, basically that's what Solomon is doing um, in, in, uh, as he collected this book for us, that, that he's giving us ways to understand life. And really, that's what all of wisdom literature is about. If you read through Ecclesiastes, it's wisdom literature. If you read through the book of Job, it's wisdom literature, that this is the way that life often plays out. And these are some principles that you can put into place to ensure that, that your life will continue um, to follow after God in the way that God desires for it to be. Um, as we said, Solomon is the primary author of the book of Proverbs. He's at least, at the very least, the, the collector of all the Proverbs. He put them together for us, and there are others who, who imparted their wisdom as well. And uh, as, as we read through them, I think we'll find that they're very helpful. Uh, the first proverb that I ever preached was the one about the, uh, the ant, how the ant goes and gathers and does all these things, and, and that's a principle, right? When you put the work in, you have a fruit of your, your labor waiting for you uh, when everybody else is out of everything, and, and that can be applied many ways, but that's one of my favorite uh, Proverbs that I, I like to look back to even to this day. What purpose do the Proverbs have? Well, he's going to tell us in chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, that they're to teach us, they're to guide us, they're to instruct us, and they're to make one wise. Who needs wisdom? We all do. How many of us would say that we, we probably neglect the book of Proverbs um, more often than not? There's a lot in there. And I think if we took time to read Proverbs diligently, um, then our whole view of life oftentimes would shift because we'd have wisdom from on high. I can remember as a kid, my parents, uh, at least my mom, I think she still does this, is reads a proverb a day. There's 31 proverbs, and she reads one a day along with her other scripture reading. And it's just uh, every day she's getting wisdom from the wisest man on earth who gained his wisdom from who? God. And uh, it, it's being imparted into her life. And there's often times where I'll talk to my mom about a situation, and she's quick to bring up um, a proverb to, to push me in the direction that I need to go. And that's what they're there for. That's why Solomon penned them. That's why he collected them so that generations to come could have understanding and, and be instructed and gain wisdom on how to live in a fallen and broken world. Uh, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And as we said, he, he got that wisdom from God. Um, but even with great wisdom, we understand that Solomon 
still made wrong choices. And we're going to see that in a few minutes. Uh, I want to look into his life a little bit. Um, <clears throat> and so as we think about the purpose of Proverbs, we have to take them as God has given them to us to teach us, to guide us, to instruct us, and to make us wise. Very quickly, uh, what is your favorite proverb from the Bible? Not Chinese proverbs, but proverbs from the Bible. Not your fortune cookie that you had last week, but what's your favorite proverb? Anybody have one? Dave. First, first verse that I put to memory was Proverbs 16, 18. Yeah. How often do we see that played out in life? Daily. Daily. And who do we see it played out most often in? Ourselves, right? It's, it's, uh, it's the, the root of every sin that pride takes root and begins to lure us away and it makes a mess of us. And certainly we can see it in other people as well. Judy, you had one. Proverbs 3, verse 5, 6, and 7. Those are good ones. You can recite them if you want to. You did good. You did very good. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite passages as well, and I quote it often, and it's because it's, it's dear to my heart. Why? Because it's a promise that God has given, that when we follow him, when we lean on him, he'll direct our path. Somebody else? Bruce? I like that same passage with uh, verse 7, be not wise in my own eyes, fear the Lord, depart from evil. Yeah. That's kind of a daily thing. I yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wendy, did you have your hand up? Yeah, we're going to hit on that tonight as we get to the end of this passage. Somebody else? Yes, Matt. Yeah, that is definitely a good one, and as the thing I, I often find myself doing is, you know, applying proverbs to other people, like, if you just do this, things would work out better, but that proverb is applied to, to us in relationship to our Heavenly Father, right? It, there's such a correlation there that we often want to say, hey, listen to me, children, as we speak to our kids, and all the while God is saying, hey, children, listen to me, right? I, I am the all-wise one giving you instruction. Somebody else? I thought I saw another hand. Jen. Yeah. A lot there for sure as you think about the virtuous woman. Anybody else? Yes, Karen. Not sure where it is, but the word that was Yeah. That is a hard one. Uh, often, we often think our words are just regardless of how they're spoken, right? And, uh, God's wisdom tells us that we've got to even watch the words that we say and how we say them because they, uh, they're powerful, very powerful. Anybody else? All right, we'll keep going. Uh, so as we think about these Proverbs, as we think about God uh, giving them to us through Solomon, he says he collected these things for us, as we think about the purpose of them giving, being given to us to teach us, to guide us, to instruct us, and to make us wise, um, as I said, tonight we're going to start by just getting into the book of Proverbs, understanding a little bit of the background, its, its purpose as we go through these verses, and then kind of a challenge towards the end of this. And uh, so we'll just, just be looking mainly at verses 1 through 7. We are going to turn to 1 Kings a couple of times just to learn about Solomon's life. 
But other than that, we'll stick to this passage. And so the beginning of Proverbs 1, uh, 1 is this, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So very plainly in the uh, introduction, uh, Solomon tells us who he is, and he tells us uh, that these were given from him. He tells us who his father was, and he tells us that his father was a king, but we also know that Solomon was a king. It's, it's believed that these were not collected until Solomon was reigning as king, um, somewhere between 1015 and 975 BC, and uh, whether it was um, impressed upon him from God or how it all transpired, we, we know that um, God preserved these things for us, and they're things that we uh, should listen to. It's, it's highly believed that Solomon penned chapters 1 through 29. Um, it's believed that Agur wrote chapter 30, and King Lemuel wrote chapter 31. Um, but they all come together um, to be the Proverbs that God has given, has given to us and things that we can still learn from today. Um, Solomon wrote Proverbs to offer instruction, wisdom, and understanding. He also recorded the books to help others gain an understanding of judgment and equity, uh, to acquire simple prudence, and to offer uh, discretion and knowledge to the young. Uh, the king additionally states in verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs 1 that he recorded his words to increase the wisdom of somebody who is already wise and to offer advice on wise counsel and to give understanding regarding uh, the riddles given by those who had attained wisdom. And so that's, that's kind of a, a big way of saying that Solomon wrote these things down under the inspiration of God to help us. What does he want to help us with? Everyday life. Uh, everyday life, we need the wisdom of God from on high. Everyday life, uh, we need the, the word of God to speak to our hearts, to make us uh, the people that God desires us to be. And so, although Solomon had probably mainly his descendants in mind, he wanted to pass these things along to his children, uh, to the men of Israel, it's also uh, proven throughout the course of time that these things are very fitting for us as well as we turn to them, as we, as we seek to understand them, and as we seek to apply them. Uh, from the very get-go, understanding a proverb and applying a proverb are two very different things. Understanding the Bible as a whole and applying the Bible as a whole are two very different things. Um, some people think that to be a mature Christian, you have to be up in years and have studied your Bible for a long time. To be a mature Christian, you just have to apply the Bible. It doesn't matter how old you are. You could be a, a, a teenager who has dedicated themselves to the studying of the Word of God, and they could be more mature than a Christian who's been saved for 50 years. And so it's not just understanding, but it's applying what we know um, to our lives as individuals, to how we view the world, and, and to how God desires for us to live. And so uh, for the young in here, don't think that you're not wise uh, because you're young, and to the old in here, don't think you are wise because you're old. But let's... let's uh, quantify our wisdom or our knowledge by how much we're actually applying the Word of God to our daily lives. Um, turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, we kind of get the breakdown of what was going on in Solomon's life um, when God gave him this gift of wisdom uh, that is really unparalleled and unmatched. And we'll start reading in verse number 1. And the Bible says, And Solomon made, it, made affinity with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about it. Only the people sacrificed in the high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved 
the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of Of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, uh, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked uh, for riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there is none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I also have given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days." And if thou walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. What an opportunity, right? As as Solomon's going about his daily business, God has made him king, and Solomon's in in a... sleeping one night or one day, and he has this dream, and God speaks to him through this dream and basically says, Solomon, what do you want? And he could have asked for anything, but he asked for wisdom. And I like, I like the heart of Solomon in this passage because in verses 7 through 9, what does he say? He says, you've made me king, and I am but, what? A little child. And I, not, I know not how to go in or come out. And Solomon says, I'm in the midst of all these people, and I have no idea what I'm doing. God, I need your wisdom to help me discern what is right and what is wrong. What is that? Humility. Solomon's saying, God, you've put me in this position, and I know I'm here in part because my father was the king, but I'm also only here because you saw fit to give my father a son. This is not something that I have earned. This is all because of you, and I need your help in life to understand what is right and what is wrong, how to rule the people, how to discern between good and bad, uh, between justice and injustice, how to be fair, how to walk in righteousness. God, I need your help. And God says, Solomon, because you asked for this thing, I'm going to give you this and everything else you didn't ask for. And I like how it says, and Solomon awoke because it was a dream. And if we're thinking that, like, well, a dream means what? It doesn't come true, right? It was just a dream. But in Solomon's case, that dream was reality. God gave him every one of these things, and he was the wisest man who lived up until that time and up until this time. God promised him that. And he was going to be the greatest of all the kings 
that ever reigned in, in, in might, in, in wisdom, in riches. Um, the, the, the Queen of Sheba, what did she come to see? The riches that King Solomon had because it was so impressive. And all of those things were a gift from God. And why did he gain those things? Because he humbly, when God said, what do you want? He humbly said, God, I need your help. How many of us are in places in life that we don't deserve to be, but God has put us there? Every one of us. If you didn't raise your hand, you need to think on this a little harder. Every one of us. I don't deserve to be a dad. I don't deserve to be a husband. I don't deserve to be a pastor. Yet God has allowed me to be these things. And if I'm going to glorify him in these things, then what do I need to do? God, I need your help. God, I need, I need your discretion. I need your wisdom to help me to understand what is right, what is wrong, what is good, and what is evil. And so God bless Solomon. Any thoughts on that passage from anyone? Any things that you took away? Ethan. I just think it's funny that he's asking God for wisdom, and that's a very wise <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it shows, again, the humility of his heart, right? It's a, a, a person who is wise in their own eyes would not ask for wisdom. They would ask for everything but wisdom. But because he was so humble and because he understood um, his nature as a human, uh, he, he did need God's help, and he proved that. Any other thoughts? Bruce? Yeah. It doesn't have to be bad. Yeah. It doesn't have to be exceedingly good, but sometimes just being a dad can be overwhelming. Being a husband can be overwhelming, certainly. In the ministry, <laughs> yeah. it's a little overwhelming, you know? But uh, we need that wisdom. Good days, yeah. bad days, we need it. Absolutely. Judy. Does it say about how old he was? I didn't look into that. Somebody can Google it quick. How old was Solomon when he. How old was Solomon? I don't, I don't know. Sorry, Judy. I didn't have the wisdom to think of that question. <laughs> well, I knew he wasn't a child, but I was just... Yeah. Yeah, no, as he says he's a child, he's talking about his ability or his, his natural ability or natural understanding. He was one of David's last sons. Right. Yeah. Probably pretty young. Yeah. I would guess 30. That's actually where my mind was as well in that age range. But somebody can raise their hand when they find it. Because I know you all have your phones. Annie. Yeah. Hmm. I, I think, you know, the, that quote is given about David uh, for a specific reason. Uh, one of... Well, specific reasons, one of them being his, his heart towards the things of God. Um, we can see David's heart in the Psalms, right? Um, Solomon's wisdom, it's, it's, it's worldly focused, not in a bad sense, but it's just saying, hey, this is how you need to view and understand life. But you read through the Psalms and you see David's heart towards the Lord, that even in his brokenness or in his desperation or in his sin, you know, he was quick to repent. He was quick to come back to God. Did it take rebuke sometimes? Certainly it did. But he was always willing to come back and do that. Solomon, that's not the case. At the end of Solomon's life, we're going to see, you know, the thing that was his downfall was his love of these women that came from other countries that God said don't have any part in. And so Solomon, in the beginning of his life, was wise and humbled himself before God. In the end of his life, he said, 
my ways are better than your ways, God, and I'll do whatever I want. And that's, that's how Solomon died. God took the kingdom from him. He divided the kingdom. And Israel was on a, a kind of a course of chaos for the rest of that time period because there, there was not the unity that was once there. And so I think that in part would be why um, he's not classified as David his father was. Anybody else? All right. So as we, as we look to this passage, I said we see where Solomon gets his wisdom uh, he honored God, he was humble before God, and God honored his faithfulness. God said, I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you all these other things as well. Now turn to chapter 11, and we'll see kind of the end of Solomon's life, um, and kind of see the downfall, as we, we just kind of touched on, this idea of, of him turning away from God's precepts and the ways of his father. David wasn't perfect, but as I said, David did have a heart of repentance when he was confronted with his sin. Solomon seemed to hold on to his sin and say, my way is the right way. So starting in verse number one, it says, but King Solomon loved many strange women. That doesn't mean they were like weird women. It just means they were strange from being uh, not a part of Israel, not a part of the people of God. Uh, but King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the uh, Zidonians, and the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And so you can go back to the book of Exodus, into the book of Genesis, and what is God constantly saying? Stick with your people. Stick with with the, the people of God, the chosen people, because those, those are who I want for you. And all throughout the Old Testament, God's saying, if you wander after other, other women, speaking to the men, he said, then your hearts are going to go with them. Your, your hearts are going to be deceived. Your hearts are going to be pulled away. Um, but, but as uh, this is being written about Solomon, the end of verse 2 says, Solomon clave unto these in love. Now, in chapter 3 of 1 Kings, who did Solomon cleave to in love? God. He wanted God's ways. He's want, he wanted God's wisdom. He wanted God's best. But now Solomon is saying, my wisdom is better than God's wisdom, and I'm going to do my own thing. And so it goes on, and this, this story really is a nightmare. He said, and he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God uh, and was not the heart of of David his father. And Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place of Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, and the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. So we have to get the picture. Not only did he cleave to these women when God said not to do this, but then he built places of worship for all of these women. And as the husband of all of these women, what do you think they expected him to do? Join him. If you really love me, Solomon, then you'll worship my God. And so now it's not just a man who, who has... The problem of 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now it's a man who has 700 wives who are all wish worshiping different gods. Their, their hearts are pulled in different directions. Their affections and their desires are for different things. 
And how could you not be torn as a husband in that situation? This is why the Bible speaks so much about the union of a husband and wife um, being equally yoked versus unequally yoked because it causes hardship. It causes at least internal chaos and oftentimes external chaos. And so this wisdom from the Old Testament is applicable to the New Testament. If you look at uh, verse number 13, um, God tells him, Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe of the, uh, to thy son David my servant's, for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. So God says, I'm going I'm to d- divide the kingdom because of your wickedness, Solomon, because of, you have departed from my ways. Now the kingdom is going to be divided. That, that wasn't a good thing, right? That there was problems uh, as those kings of those nations didn't get along, and one was more of a puppet king, but he was still a king nonetheless and had rights and privileges and authority, and it caused hardship and chaos. And then if you jump to the end of this chapter in verses 41 through 43, the Bible says, and the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all of Israel was 40 years, and Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. When the kingdom was passed from David to Solomon, it's quite a different story, isn't it? God says that, that I'm, I'm giving you this kingdom, and Solomon says, I don't deserve this kingdom. Solomon says, God, I want your wisdom because I, I'm just a child. I don't know how to rule these people, and he was humbly bowing before him. At the end of Solomon's life, God says, Solomon, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm dividing it between two different people. Why? Because of Solomon's unfaithfulness. Because Solomon was divided in who he was chasing after. I'm sure he had days where he regretted his decision to chase after the gods of his wives. And there were days where he fully chased after the gods of his wives. But that divided life It never works. It's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't serve two masters. You can't live two lifestyles. And as much as this is speaking uh, to Solomon and his kingship and his authority, his position of authority over the people of God, understand, church family, it is speaking to us as well, that we can't live uh, duplicitous lifestyles. We can't be divided in our affections because it will always cause destruction And I'm speaking to a a good number of parents in here tonight. Whose lives does it often cause the most destruction in? The lives of kids. The lives of the kids who grow up in a home that see that their parents aren't committed to the Lord. Now, we all fail at that. Any parent in here who says they haven't failed in that is a liar, and you're failing in it right now. So be honest with yourself, and then devote yourself to what God's word says. Devote yourself to the principles that God's word puts forth. And so in chapter 3, God honored his faithfulness and his humility. In chapter 11, we see the account where God took away the kingdom and divided it because of his foolishness. And remember, what does God say about him in chapter 3? That there's nobody that will ever touch your status when it comes to wisdom. And yet this man full of great wisdom honestly has has one of the saddest stories in the Bible when it comes to his end because he had wandered away from God. Uh, Let it be a word of warning to us as parents, right? Let it be a word of warning to those um, of us who who are in positions of authority, whether that's in your home uh, or anywhere. Let us us be uh, mindful to heed the words that God has preserved for us.
All right, any thoughts on, on uh, chapter 3 and chapter 11 and how they go together? Judy. Because God is gracious. And that is, that's every character in the Bible. Um, the, there's a trail of grace through the Bible that human minds can't comprehend. Abraham failed. And what is he? The father of faith. Um, Paul had his own struggles and failings. And yet, Paul was probably the, the greatest missionary, um, probably the greatest Christian who's ever lived that, that we're familiar with, right? Because... He still struggled afterwards, though. He says in Romans how the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things he doesn't want to do are the things that he finds himself doing. And so, though we're not given complete pictures of, of what his struggle was, um, it's, it's, it's really just the story of grace, that God can even take a person who started out well and messed up and use them for his purposes and his glory and for our good, and God, God can take somebody who was messed up, and then God corrected their lives through his grace and he can use that for an example for us as well. And so as we look at Solomon's life or Abraham's life or Jonah's life or anybody's life in the Bible, we can't ever place them on the level of, of super Christian or super superhero of the faith. Why? Because they're, they're people just like us. And so we don't take um, the whole of their lives as prescriptive, meaning that we, we follow what they did. No, we follow what the Word of God says. There are often times where God gives examples of sin in the Bible and People could make the excuse, well, they did it, and they turned out fine, so I can too. People use that uh, with, with Rahab, who lied um, and, and saved the, the spies. Could God have saved the spies a different way? Absolutely. He doesn't need us to lie to accomplish his purposes. Does he use us in spite of our sinfulness? He does. And Rahab is in the line of Christ, right? And so there's great hope there for even those of us, uh, for all of us, because we've all messed up, um, but we don't... Um, we don't overlay their lives onto our lives and say we do everything like them. We take what God highlights in their lives and, and really learn from it. And really, you know, as we read chapter 3 and chapter 11, there are things to learn in both of those chapters. Uh, both of them give great principles of how we're to live our lives. Any other thoughts? Bruce? Solomon is always been a, a source of fear for me. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I think Solomon also serves as an example of, of uh, this truth for us to remember that because of Solomon's choices, his life ended the way it did. Do you think God offered Solomon an opportunity to repent? Yeah. But his own, his own will took the place of God's will, and that's why he continued the path on the path that he was on. And 
that's true for so many people. It's true for us at times, right? It's not that God is not gracious. It's that we're just really stubborn people, really hard-headed people. Nikki. Yeah. Having wisdom and applying wisdom are different things. Yeah. And knowing what you should do and actually doing it aren't always lined up. No, and, and sometimes it's difficult, right? Sometimes those decisions are hard. We, we shouldn't look at it in such simplicity that says, oh, Solomon just messed up because uh, he wasn't as spiritual as I was. Anybody struggle with sin this week? That's, that's what's happened here, right? He just continued down the path of continuing in sin until his heart was so hardened that he didn't desire to come back. That's the difference between Solomon and David. When David was confronted over his sin, and the whole story was uh, shared about how this sheep, uh, you know, this baby sheep was stolen from the flock, and David's like, well, we got to go get that guy. Who is it? And what does Samuel say? David, it's you. And then what does David say in Psalm 51? God against thee have I sinned. He actually says, against thee only have I sinned. Doesn't mean he didn't sin against Bathsheba or Uriah or the people that he was reigning over, but he recognized that the, the, the one he sinned against the most was his heavenly father. And he needed reconciliation with the father before he could have reconciliation with anybody else around him. And that's the difference between Solomon and David, at least in my mind, that David's heart was soft towards the things of the Lord, even though he, he sometimes went his own way he was always coming back to God um, because he recognized his need of God. Yes, Annie. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's wisdom literature, right? We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good thought, Annie. Anybody else? Ethan. Yeah. Yeah. God was basically saying, live long and prosper if you follow me, right? And he chose not to follow. He chose to go his own direction. And it brought chaos to his life and it brought chaos to the, the people of Israel's life. Imagine, you know, for those who were under, who remember David as king, who are under Solomon as king, and then the kingdom was divided between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Imagine what turmoil that must have been for some of those people. Some were probably on board and saying, yeah, this is a great decision. You know, we want to go this direction anyways. We want to go that direction. It's fine. But for those who were um, patriarchs or matriarchs in, in uh, Israel and they had deep ties and a deep love for the nation as a whole, they weren't uh, ticked off by any of the political things that were happening, that must have broken their hearts. Why? Because they were remembering the promises of God. They were remembering what God had said, and yet they see the one who's in charge of them leading them 
uh, living a, an alternate lifestyle that was not only affecting him and his family, but it was affecting them and their families. And isn't that true about leadership? That when leadership goes astray, it has a trickle effect that reaches even to the, the, the poorest of the poor when you're thinking in an ep- economical uh, viewpoint like, like they would have been thinking here. It, re- it reached everybody. And it all happened because Solomon chose to wander away uh, from the precepts that God had given to his father and had given to him. Anybody else? One more. <laughs> Maybe two. Yeah. You know, God gave this instruction through Moses about the kings had to be, they're going to be kings someday, they have to be of Israel, all that stuff. Don't go get horses, that would be yeah. good. And then in uh, verse 17, then neither shall he multiply wives to himself that turn his heart not away, neither shall he multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. Yeah. If you had just done that, written that book, and then it goes on to say, and continue with it. Right. Read it every day. Continue with this law. Yeah. And you'll be okay. But yeah. that little word, if, yeah. that's a, that's a, there's conditional promises all through the Bible for us today that hinge on that little word, yeah. if. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's interesting, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, the downfall of humanity is when we forsake the precepts of God. God said in Genesis, what? Don't do it. Don't eat of it. Leave it alone, right? And what did they say? Well, after speaking to Satan, did God really say? And I think Solomon's heart probably had that similar conversation. Um, we're not given the account of, of what it looked like, but I'm sure in some way there came a point in Solomon's life where he said, you know, did God really say that? Did he really mean what he said? I'm just going to go with my gut on this one. And where did it land him? Uh, in, a, in a bad position. Matt. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great thought. We're going to buckle down in the next 10 minutes and make it through verses uh, 2 through 7, 2 through 6, and then we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on verse number 7. So I'm not, probably not going to ask for a lot of input just because I want to make it through this one so we actually stay on course to uh, get through all of the, the topics we're going to talk about. But verse 2, um, Solomon kind of begins to give his, his reason uh, for uh, collecting this collection of Proverbs and it kind of is, is revealing God's heart as well. So he says, these are written by Solomon, and he says they're given to know wisdom and instruction to perceive words of understanding, uh, to, to know wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is the power by which human uh, personality reaches the highest spiritual perfection, by which all lower elements are brought into harmony with the highest, uh, is presently, presently personified as life-giving and creative. So, so wisdom is not this abstract idea. Wisdom is... God's saying that, that when you live in this way or when you receive my word in this way, you're going to function at the highest level possible, um, that, that your life is going to be an example for others to follow, that I'm going to bring things into your life that you could have never learned by your own. And it reminded me of what, um, what Jesus tells Peter when Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus, Jesus tell him? Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. 
but your Father which is in heaven. And that's what Proverbs is. It's God is saying, hey, if you want to live on a high plane, a high level, then submit yourself to the precepts, the principles, and the laws of the word of God, and then you'll have wisdom. But wisdom is not just understanding. Wisdom is, is really the application of knowledge, living out these things that we know to be true. He says, to, so that I'm, I'm giving these to you so you'll know um, wisdom and that you'll know instruction. This would be the idea of discipline or training. And then he says to know understanding, which is the power of distinguishing right from wrong, uh, truth from its counterfeit. So Solomon says, this is my, my purpose statement or the beginning of my purpose statement. I'm writing these things down so that you'll know wisdom and instruction and so you'll perceive words of understanding. More I wanted to say, but we'll continue to verse 3. He says to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Another translation says it this way, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. So Solomon says, I want you to understand how to receive wisdom and instruction and understanding. And then he says, I want you to understand how to live what is true, what is right, what is just, and what is fair. Our, our human perspective on all of those things, if, if uh, defined by our feelings, it will always be flawed. Our, our, our human definition of righteousness typically favors us. Our human definition of what is just typically favors us. Our human definition of equity or what's equal or fair typically favors us. But Solomon's saying, I'm giving you this collection of, of writings so that you'll know what God says is righteous, what God says is just, what God says is fair, what God says is prudent behavior as you live in this world. And so we could say simply this, God has given us Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, so that we could learn to live as God desires us to live. That when we face situations in life, through Proverbs we learn how to, how to respond to the things that happen in the natural world. We're not in control of what happens in the natural world but we are controlling how we respond to what happens in the natural world. And Solomon says, I'm giving you this book of wisdom so that you'll know how to live in this broken and fallen world in a way that brings glory to God. Verse number four says, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. The word simple here that, that Proverbs is using does not mean, uh, often people will say it means stupid. It just means somebody that's unlearned, somebody that doesn't know, somebody that, that has never been taught. It's kind of like uh, when, when you have a new believer and everything that they read in the Bible is, is mind-blowing. Um, why is that? It's because they've never been taught these things before. They, they don't understand these principles and everything that they're reading is new to them. And so Solomon says, I'm giving to you those who, and, and not to sound arrogant from his standpoint, those who don't have what I have when it comes to the knowledge that God has given me, I'm giving these things to you so that you can know how to live. Early on in his life, probably when he wrote the book of Proverbs, he was thinking about his own children. He wanted them to follow after his ways. Why? Because him following after God caused or allowed God to pour into him wisdom that nobody had ever experienced before. And so his heart was for his, his um, children that would follow after him. His heart was for the young men of Israel, that they would understand the precepts of God's word, that they would walk in God's ways so that God would, would uh, bless them in the way that God had blessed him. And so he's giving us these things to, to bring wisdom to the simple and to give the young man knowledge and 
discretion. In verse 5, he says, I'm giving you these things, and a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. And so he, um, he does a good job of, of defining that this is not just for the unlearned, but who else is it for? Those who are already wise. So what does that say to us concerning the Word of God? That even if we're wise, what can we still glean? Wisdom. Why? Because God's Word is an unending well of wisdom and knowledge for us to dive into. And so Solomon says a wise man, he's going to listen to these things. A man who already has understanding, he's going to dive into these things in a deeper way because he has a desire to become more wise and, and gain more wisdom and glean more understanding than he's ever had. And he says a, wise, a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels without saying that he was wise What's he basically saying? Somebody who's wise will listen to these things that have been written down. You're going to practice these things. You're going, to, you're going to study these things so that they can be true in your life. And then he says, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the wise words and their dark sayings. This, this verse number six is, uh, if you were to jump into Ecclesiastes, uh, what's the word that's repeated in Ecclesiastes over and over again? Vanity. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. And what is he saying? He said, I'm, I'm giving you understanding on how to live in a world that does not make sense. What's Solomon's conclusion in Ecclesiastes? That apart from God, all of this is worthless. What's Solomon's desire for us to understand in the book of Proverbs? That apart from God, all of this is worthless. And so he says, I'm giving you the ability to understand a proverb. And in the proverb, like a parable, wasn't there always a deeper meaning? Wasn't there always a greater truth? It wasn't just the, the low-lying fruit of, um, of a, a sower went to sow, right? There was something greater that Jesus was getting across to the, the listeners in that day, and the same is true with Solomon. And so he says, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. This, this phrase, dark saying, it doesn't mean like evil sayings or corrupt saying. It just means confusing, confusing sayings, things that our, our natural minds can't comprehend. Solomon says, I'm giving you keys to understanding life, that if you'll apply yourself to these principles, these proverbs, these precepts, then you're going to have a greater understanding than you could ever have in your own. The things that, that Solomon deals with are um, things with, with finances, money. Um, he talks about generosity. He talks about diligence versus slothfulness. He talks about choosing friends and relationships. He talks about uh, disciplining your children. He talks about self-control. He talks about immorality and a whole list of other things. Anybody ever get confused on any one of those things? Turn to the book of Proverbs. And God says that I've given you wisdom here. But then we have one minute left. I thought I would have more time than this, but one minute left. He ends the introduction by saying this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Solomon says, if you want to understand life, if you want to understand what is worth living for and what is not worth living for, if you want to understand what has value and doesn't have value, he says that all begins, the beginning of the thing, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Solomon uses fear here. It's not talking about awestruck terror. It's talking about reverence, understanding that God's ways are perfect. 
Now, is there some terror in understanding that God's ways are perfect and ours are not? There is. But the, the, the thrust of his message and this idea of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He's saying that without fearing the Lord, you will not understand any of these other things. You can have all the wisdom of the world, but if you don't respect God, if you don't respect God's word, if you don't um, walk in God's ways, if you don't give God um, the due diligence that he deserves, he says, then you're going to miss these things. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me ask you a tough question. Have you ever despised wisdom from God? Why is that? It's because in those times in our lives, we're not fearing the Lord. And so do we want to be classified as a fool? Those who despise the wisdom of God? Or do we want to be classified as the wise who find their wisdom where all wisdom begins? And that's with a proper reverence and respect and fear of the Lord. Solomon says we have to start here. We have to start with this idea of the fear of the Lord. And that theme is carried out throughout the book of Proverbs. How many times does, I didn't look it up, but how many times does Solomon mention or allude to that idea of the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, time and time again? Why? Because it's the most important principle in the book that when we start with the fear of the Lord, then we'll be able to understand life in a broken and fallen world. But if we forsake the fear of the Lord and we live according to our own fleshly desires, well, then we end up like Solomon, who had the kingdom taken from him. And really, the, the rest of Israel's history is disastrous from that point on. And it's all because Solomon chose not to walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, did the people after Solomon have a choice to make in that matter? They certainly did. But who did they follow after? A lot of them followed after the, the ways of Solomon. They did what was right in their own eyes instead of what was right in the eyes of God. So this is the introduction to the book of Proverbs. I, I hope you'll come back. Um, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I've never, I've read through the book of Proverbs a number of times, but I've never really um, done a study on the book of Proverbs. And I, I do pray that it'll be helpful to us. And the wisdom that Solomon imparts to us, that God has preserved for us, uh, is still relevant and applicable in the day and age that we live in. So I, I hope that we'll glean from it. Any closing thoughts? I hear them downstairs. They're chomping at the bit to... To go wherever they want to go. So, all right, let's close in a word of prayer and we'll um, get on our way. God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your kindness. And God, this, this book truly is a gift of grace as uh, you have preserved it for us to know really your heart for us. And God, I pray that, that we would begin searching our hearts even tonight and asking ourselves, are we living in the fear of the Lord? Or are we living according to the desires of our heart. God, help us to, to depend on you, to lean on you, to trust in you, and to follow what your word says so that our lives can be filled with wisdom from on high. We thank you for loving us, even though we don't deserve it. Give us a good rest of the night. Give us a good week this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.